Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Aronex podcast and our first edition for the third season. I'm Craig Eason, your host of this podcast and also editor of Fathom World. A lot's been happening already this year as the debates, projects and decisions about the transformation of the maritime shipping and ocean sectors unfold. As ever, I'm trying to make some sense of it and to bring some of it to your ears. In Sweden last week, Stena made one of the boldest announcements, saying that within the next nine years, it'll have the first of two electric passenger and freight ferries operating the short distance between the Swedish port of Gothenburg and Fredrikshamn in Denmark. Stena Line's chief executive, Nicholas Mortensen, made the announcement as part of a larger announcement about a zero-emission freight link in the Swedish port of Gothenburg. Calling the decision historic, Nicholas Mortensen said that by 2030, in the latest, the company would have two vessels sailing the 50 nautical mile route between the two Scandinavian ports running solely on electricity. It'll be the world's first and largest passenger and freight vessels, he said, calling them unique. He added that this is not a technical project, but a commercial project. And while batteries will be the main power, he does point out that depending on battery capacity by 2030, fuel cells, hydrogen and even biomethanol may be also used initially. Now the project is part of a wider initiative between Stena, the truck makers Scania and Volvo Group and the port of Gothenburg where they'll look at making zero emission freight transport through the port. After the Swedish press briefing I spoke to port of Gothenburg CEO Elvir Zanik about the Transit Zero initiative. We took this initiative to gather the major industry players that can make a large impact. And each of us has our role to play within the initiative. As an example, the Port of Gothenburg will develop infrastructure and secure capacity for the fossil-free fuels and technologies within the proximity of the port. We're talking electricity, we're talking uh, uh, fossil-free fluent fuels like HVO, we're talking uh, ammoniac and so on and so forth. Uh, on the other hand, the uh, carrier Stena line, which is the one that calls this port most frequently amount of times per year, their commitment is to introduce fossil-free ferries on the Gothenburg route uh, by 2030, m- uh, which is electrified ferries. And on the other hand, the two players, Scania and Volvo, which represent the largest producers of trucks available, they're committing to have the proper trucks and the proper uh, vehicles that are green enough. So there will be a green alternative available on the truck side. There will be in the proximity of the port uh, available energy sources that you can utilize. And there will be on the quay side a carrier who has the most frequent amount of calls uh, per year to Gothenburg that will offer a green transportation alternative on the water side. And through that project, we do achieve that that transportation zero emission. 
or at least at 70% reduction by 2030. Now, as to exactly what type of technology is going to grow out of this, that's, uh, that question will be answered in the feasibility study that we already started uh, last year and that is, that's about to get finalized within this month. And that feasibility study will reveal uh, more exactly which and what type of technologies are needed, where do we place them, what type of commercial decisions are needed uh, to, to uh, adapt it to the market needs. That was Elvir Zanik, CEO of the Port of Gothenburg, talking about the Trans Zero Initiative launched in Sweden last week. Now, also last week, I was invited to moderate the Global Maritime Environmental Congress, or the digital version, that took place as part of the SMM Week. It's not quite the same as being in Hamburg, gathering with everybody else and drinking the German beer, but by bringing their event online, these large organisations can at least remind us of what we are missing. They're also there to help with the debates. The three sessions in GMEC were about short-term challenges, the long-term challenges, and also looking at the relationship between the um, NGOs. But here I want to focus on the future fuels. In our conversation about fuels, we spoke about the lack of experience with some of the proposed fuels of the future. But Sheld Arbo from Man Energy Solutions pointed out that there is already reasonably broad experience in using some of those alternative fuels, mostly from existing tankers that have the ability to use their cargo as fuel, as well as the LNG carriers and increased number of vessels using LNG as a fuel. There are dozens of vessels with engines that can use either methanol, ethane and LPG cargos. These may be burning fuels based on hydrocarbons, but experts are already talking about the ability to drop in or blend fuels that are either synthetic or biofuels as part of the transition of the industry. But there is limited experience using either hydrogen or ammonia in an internal combustion engine. MAN now has a second test engine in Copenhagen and is pushing ahead with the development of solutions. But also last week, a new ammonia fuel report was published, highlighting what the proponents see as the benefits of ammonia in the shipping industry and the increased momentum that is now happening. Towards the end of 2020, Grieg, the Norwegian ship owner, and the Finnish tech company Vatsila announced plans to build an ammonia tanker with 4.4 million euros of funding from the Norwegian government. The shuttle tanker would take ammonia along the Norwegian coastline. It's part of the Zeeds consortium, which includes Equinor, the Norwegian energy giant that has plans for green hydrogen production, which of course will lead to ammonia possibilities. Ammonia is already a man-made commodity for the agricultural industry, says one of the report authors, Steve Crolius, who's also director of the Ammonia Energy Association and founder of Carbon Neutral Consulting, a company he set up with co-authors of the Ammonia Report, Milton Bevington and Trevor Brown. Crolius says the report not only highlights the opportunities for shipping and using ammonia, but the likely ease with which ammonia production can be ramped up as demand increases. Our calculation says that uh, in order for the marine sector to use ammonia as the sole fuel that would allow it to meet the the 50% greenhouse gas uh, target, reduction target from the maritime sector in 2050, it would be it would take an amount of ammonia that is less than 
the projected growth that's going to happen anyway. So point being that in order to for the ammonia industry to scale up to meet this demand, it is not going to take anything extraordinary beyond what the ammonia sec ammonia industry has, has done over the, the last hundred years. Now, you I think you point to the sort of the broader context that the maritime sector is not the only industry or sector that would be possibly demanding ammonia as an energy commodity. Fair enough, but right now the maritime sector seems to be at the front of the parade for that activity. And so we know from our contacts with the large ammonia producers that they are have their eyes specifically on demand, anticipated demand from the maritime sector. And so they're already starting to, they're at the early stages. I don't want to imply that they're putting in uh, bricks and mortar in the ground, but they're at the but they are taking steps to start to scale up to meet the demand that, that, that could come from, from the maritime sector. That was Steve Crolius, co-author of the Ammonia Report, which was published last week. However, ammonia isn't largely made from renewable resources. It's a product of hydrocarbon refining, and there's about 180 million tonnes made of it every year, and about 18 million tonnes shipped. LNG, naphtha and LPG are the main sources of ammonia. The hydrogen is extracted and large amounts of CO2 produced and then the hydrogen mixed with nitrogen in the Harbour-Bosch process to form the ammonia. It's a building block in the use uh, for agricultural products, pharmaceutical and chemical industries. It's also used as a refrigerant. To evolve into a renewable industry, ammonia makers need to use renewable electricity to extract the hydrogen from the water and then to mix the hydrogen with the nitrogen in the air to form ammonia. This has led to questions about the demand for hydrogen, as many countries see this gas as a key component in their decarbonisation goals under the Paris Agreement commitments. Green hydrogen production plants are being planned, as well as green electricity production. Here's Another one of the co-authors of the Ammonia Report, Trevor Brown. As people move from using fossils to synthesizing fuels, they need to uh, to build out as much electric power as we currently use. Again, that's going to have to be um, sustainable. It's going to have to be non-competing. It's going to be um, very, very large scale um, green hydrogen and ammonia production. So the, the project that Steve's referring to is a 235 gigawatt portfolio that Fortescue's talking about. Um, you you add on to that, um, you know, the Asian Renewable Energy Hub is a $36 billion project that's looking at um, about uh, 15 gigawatts worth of electrolyzers, turning into an annual capacity of about 9.9 .9 million tons per year of ammonia. Uh, and that's part of a 100 gigawatt portfolio. Um, it's just the only, it's the only project that's been so far announced. So these are very large scale. This is not about, you know, running your air conditioner or uh, feeding the grid. This is about very large-scale uh, electrofuel production. And um, these are projects that didn't exist this time last year. You know, 2020 began with um, announcements of a 10-megawatt project and ended with announcements of 235 gigawatts of projects. So the, the speed at which the project developers are moving towards renewable molecule production uh, is is absolutely um, 
uh, at full acceleration. It's uh, the, the world is turning very, very quickly. Um, the other comment I wanted to address was you were suggesting that how would ammonia and hydrogen compete? And this is really an interesting question because, of course, they don't. Ammonia is just a very good way of moving hydrogen. So from the maritime perspective, you're looking at ammonia as being a fuel. And you're saying, oh, I want nobody to compete with this. But from the energy system's perspective, you're saying, oh, I have a transferable, market-flexible, renewable commodity. I can make it where it's cheapest, whether that's Morocco or Australia or Chile. I can send it to a distribution hub. I can look at the markets where it's needed. Is it going to go into the German renewable hydrogen market? Sure, we can import it to Germany, crack it back into hydrogen and run the trains. Or am I going to sell it into the maritime market in the North Sea? Or am I going to sell it into the maritime market in, uh, in, in, in the, the Gulf of Mexico? Where, wh or do I want to store it and call it a, a strategic fuel reserve? You've got, a, you've got a commodity that can go into the fertilizer market, the hydrogen market, the maritime market. It becomes much more exciting than if you had a molecule that could only go in one place. So if you're producing renewable hydrogen and you have to, for example, feed it into a renewable hydrogen uh, distribution facility, you've got a very closed uh, supply chain from one point to the other. But if you've got an energy commodity that can go anywhere, you've got a, a resilient, sustainable fuel supply. Everybody's always talking about chickens and eggs, right? We're always worried, yeah, who's going to move first? Well, ammonia is this beautiful thing. It, it's already there. The chicken's there, the egg's there. And so you've got this gorgeous use case, and this is what Greg Star and Vartzilla announced just last month, of essentially saying, well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go from one ammonia bunker, one ammonia terminal to another ammonia terminal. Um, I know that there will always be ammonia where I leave and where I arrive, so why not use it as a fuel? There is zero fuel risk. Uh, you, 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 uh, you simply have to, um, have to be putting it into the fuel tank as well as the, um, as well as the cargo tank. Um, that's going to be your, your first and easiest use case for ammonia. And the development of that use case is going to de-risk so many of the technology and regulatory elements that uh, it's going to make the barriers to broader adoption much, much lower. Trevor Brown, co-author of the new report on the potential for ammonia to be used as a marine fuel. Now it's time for our regular update from our friend Nick Chubb, Athetius. Thanks, Craig. Well, we were hoping that 2020 was a weird blip in world history, but here we are uh, just over one month into 2021, and we've already seen a failed coup in the United States, a successful coup in Myanmar, an impeachment, a South African variant, a Kent variant, vaccine nationalism, the new world's richest man crash a rocket, and the former world's richest man quit his job and Kim and Kanye announced their divorce. But in the maritime sector, uh, things aren't quite as turbulent. Uh, just this last week, the Merce McKinney Molar Center for Zero Carbon Shipping announced their uh, first major project, which is a, a joint initiative to develop the world's first commercially viable solid oxide fuel cell for the maritime industry. Researchers at the University of Antwerp tested a 3D sonar sensor for use in autonomous vessels. The system uses 32 microphones to build a 3D underwater picture to improve the vessel's situational awareness and reduce the risk of groundings. 
The test was conducted aboard one of Port of Antwerp's test vessels uh, in the last weeks of 2020, and now through 2021, they'll be conducting further tests. SoftBank's Vision Fund, which spent most of 2020 taking flack for poor portfolio performance, has invested $350 million into the LEO satellite network, OneWeb. This brings OneWeb's total fundraising to $1.4 billion, with SoftBank joining the ranks of the UK government as investors after they led a consortium to rescue the satellite operator from bankruptcy last year. That was Nick Chubb from Thetius. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Please do subscribe to this podcast. You'll find it on most of the platforms hosting podcasts. Go to the Fathom World to read more about these stories and subscribe to our occasional newsletter, monthly newsletter. And until the next time, thank you.